commission from God at the very beginning of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be terrified. For the Lord your God will go with you everywhere. Wherever you go, he will go. What a great commission that is. What an encouragement that is. I, I don't know about you, but I am extremely excited and encouraged about this fall. Uh, I mean, I've been here lots of falls, and, and uh, September, of course, is the uh, new year of the church, right? Pastors are always excited about September, because it's just one of those really exciting times of year. But I am really excited about this particular fall. It seems to me that, that uh, God is already going out before us, and some of the hard ground that, that we've encountered out in our community is starting to soften up, and, and uh, I'm excited about your engagement in reaching out to your friends and your family, reaching out into our community, talking to them about Christ, Inviting them to different things that are going on at our, at our church here. And um, some of the work that we're doing with our summer camps and our, our soccer camp. And, and those kinds of things are paying off. And uh, people are either being, uh, uh, for the first time encountering Christ, are being reacquainted with the Christ that they left behind a number of years ago. A lot of people connected with Calvary over the years whether through our Sunday school program or our bus ministry, and uh, people are meeting them in the community, and uh, they are intersecting with some of our ministries, opportunities that we've gone out and have connected with them, and some of them are coming back. This week was such an exciting week here at Calvary, a women's ministry. Five ladies uh, responded to receive Christ as their Savior. Isn't that exciting? Five ladies and, and on Thursday night. And... Um, others who are recommitting, considering recommitting their lives to Christ, been away from church for a long time or whatever, and somebody invited them, one of you invited them, and they were here. So thanks for the amazing work that you're doing. We had an excellent day yesterday, Pastor Calvin, so I understand. Lots of people were here and, and a great crowd of um, people we reconnected with as well from our neighborhood and around. And, and then tonight, I'm really excited about tonight, Church on the Tap. Um, what, a, what a tremendous opportunity this is for us to be partnering with church, campus church ministries to encourage them and to help them and, and really see a, a, a real movement for Christ start to get off the ground with great vigor on that campus. And uh, so pray about that. Pray about tonight and, and uh, all that's going on. And, and so I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you so much for all the partnership that you are doing in, in making things happen here at Calvary. So I'm really looking forward to how this fall is, is uh, turning out. Well, we want to talk to you about Joshua, in particular, the man Joshua himself today. We, I don't know how you feel about um, people who've accomplished great things for God, but, but wouldn't you just love to kind of sit in the corner with some of them for a few minutes and say, tell me about your story. Tell me about your life. How did God get you to the place that he got you to? And, and, and what kinds of things did you go through? What kind of circumstances did you have? Are they, are they something like me? Or, and, and Joshua's really an interesting man because um, he spent the first 40 years of his life in captivity in Egypt, followed by the next 40 years of his life, roughly, uh, the two numbers roughly, uh, wandering around in the wilderness uh, frustrated with uh, his community because they wouldn't sort of move forward with God. And then, and then one day when he was around 80 years old, God taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, Joshua, I have the assignment of your life for you. Can you imagine that? I mean, God, uh, uh, for, for whatever age you are here this morning, can you think about being 80 or 82 or whatever age he was and, and now the biggest assignment, the next 25 years of your life, Joshua, I have the biggest assignment you have ever had. And, and that's the, the story of Joshua. And I, I want to track for you because we actually can't bring Joshua here and, 
and, and interview him for you this morning, but the Holy Spirit saw fit to um, connect in the scriptures seven experiences in Joshua's life before he got this amazing assignment to be leader of the people and take them into the promised land. And so we can look at these key points, these key experiences in his life, and they become key lessons for our life of of how God develops a servant, preparing a servant for an assignment that he might have. Well, he might not be waiting until you're 80 or 82 years of age, but but you might find yourself, as many Christians do, sort of in the, the middle ground of... Maybe you had a really exciting assignment going a few years ago and, and you're just looking for your next assignment. Where's that thing going and when's it going to arrive? And, and, and maybe you find yourself sort of in the, the middle of the muddle of life. And um, you're wondering, like, is this just wasted time? Like Joshua and the wilderness years? That, was that just wasted time in Joshua's life? Well, I want to show you this morning that during those years, those critical years of his life, those were his apprenticeship years. And um, although he must have been wondering, like, when, when am I, like, ever going to get to really do something? God was working in amazing ways in his life over those years. I want to I look this morning at seven different experiences that will become seven key lessons for your life. I want you to turn with me to Exodus, first of all, chapter 17. We're going to go through uh, seven different places in the scripture very quickly this morning. And really, this is just a survey, but I think it will help you because this is really the pattern, I think, of how God develops a servant for an assignment that he might have. So when you find yourself in the wilderness or in between assignments, what might God be teaching you so that you can be ready for that day when he really taps you and says, hey, I want you to go big. And um, by the way, a go big person doesn't just happen. There's a lot of work that goes into it, and there's some distinct experiences that happen. So, Father, as we turn our attention to your word, the revelation of, of Christ and, and uh, how you've presented yourself to us, you have um, demonstrated in your word um, a commitment to create circumstances that sometimes look bewildering and certainly from our perspective and vantage point regularly look bewildering but that you are shaping us. You are refining us. You are prepping us. You are apprenticing us for the um, assignment that you have for us or, or various ministry assignments you might have. So, Lord, I pray that we might not be discouraged, we might not be frustrated, that today might be a, a real eye-opener as we uh, have some aha moments. Notice that, that maybe... Maybe I'm right there. Maybe that's the experience I'm having right now. Maybe this is what God is doing in my life. I need to cooperate with this. And I pray, Father, that that our hearts might be inclined to cooperate to the work of the Holy Spirit. Open up our eyes. Help us to focus and and see a great vision of God today, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, by the way, I hope that you are all engaged in some serving ministry that you've, you've found a place, or you're finding a place where, where God can really use you and, and a place where you can really bless his name. And, and, uh, and so I hope, I, I thank you so many of you who really come forward and have got on board this year. And it's going to take all of us. It takes all hands on deck to, to see this ministry go forward. I trust that some of you are... Uh, maybe have, uh, have uh, started a journal whereby you're, you're no longer sort of skimming over the scriptures, but you're meditating and mulling over things. What did God teach me today, and what does God want me to do about what he taught me today? Uh, I hope that you've engaged in that. Well, today, it's um, how does a good go-big person get apprenticed? The first experience, of course, is in Exodus chapter 17, and it really begins in verse 8, where 
you, you know, they've come out of the Red Sea. They've, they've, they've come out of Egypt and escaped and gone through the Red Sea. And, and there's this, this tribe dogging them called the Amalekites. And, and they um, muster up their forces for battle. And uh, it's a battle that you're familiar with because it's one of the great stories where Moses is holding up his hands. And, and when Moses is holding up his hands, Joshua leading the soldiers, they're winning the battle. And, and actually, some of us went on, on uh, pilgrimage to the, the, prom, uh, the uh, promised land, the Holy Land. And uh, our promised land's in heaven, and, um, but, but the Holy Land. And uh, we, we were there right on the site of Rephidim, the amazing place. And we saw the hill where Moses was standing. And, and so we pick up the text. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Well, our first lesson that comes out of our first experience, I've got to tell you, I think is the most important of all the lessons, although they're all very important. And this first lesson is that success and total dependence on God are inseparable. The, the, the important lesson that Joshua learned at this moment with this mission was that as long as Moses, by symbolically raising up his hands, was seeking the uh, power and presence of God, Israel was winning. But when Moses' hands fell down, symbolizing the fact that they were relying on their own strength, they were losing. Now, I think this is a really important battle, or battle strategy and life lesson for all of us to learn. That first and foremost, the success of your life in terms of moving forward with Christ is entirely related to your dependence fully on God. We all know that Joshua was the same soldier when... Moses' hands dropped down as when Moses' hands were raised in the air. He had the same skills with his sword. He was the same good soldier whether Moses' hands were up or Moses' hands were down. The difference between whether he was winning and losing had nothing to do with how good Joshua was with his sword, how good a soldier he was. It had to do with whether or not the presence and power of God was giving him success. That's crucial in our lives. The first life lesson in the apprenticeship of anyone who will be usable by God is, I can't, but God can. And we have to get that through our, our, into our hearts and into our heads. As long as Moses held up his hands, Israel was winning. The real power was not in his sword. There's always a temptation in our lives to sort of inflate ourselves, and it's relentless. That we think sometimes that, that we have great skills. But the sword worked not because it was in Joshua's hand, but because it was wielded really by God. What an important lesson. So in the background, the foreground of every man or woman of God who will be successful in any assignment that he gives them, it will be prayer. It will be relying on God. It will be calling out on God, depending upon him. 
And I just want to say that God blessed the Aarons and the Hurs in this church. They're the backbone of this ministry. The backbone of every Christian ministry. Those people who hide in their closets in their homes that we might not even know about or hear about. Those people who, before services on Sunday mornings, go in various places and pray. Those people who got up early this morning and prayed that, that God would do an amazing work in this place this morning. They're the backbone of this ministry. Those who are praying for the ladies' event and the Super Saturday and the UIT uh, um, ministry tonight. That's the backbone of ministry. God bless the errands and hers that we have in this church. What a vital and crucial ministry that is. Depending on God, relying upon him. This is his work. This is his ministry. This This is a supernatural work. Well, we must move on because we've got to cover a lot of terrain this morning. Exodus chapter 24 Exodus chapter 24, the experience of Mount Sinai. In Exodus 24, starting at verse 9, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out, notice, with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, you wait here for us, meaning he and Joshua, until we come back to you. And Aaron and her are with you and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. Uh, Moses, of course, is setting out to receive the law of God. And he takes along with him Joshua. And Christ, had, uh, the living God, had choreographed a circumstance here where, where Moses and Joshua and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 other of the elders were going to experience an encounter with the glory of God. They get a big vision of God. The second key lesson in, in life's success is, is big success only comes from a big vision of God. This was crucial in the development of Joshua. When, when the greatness of God brushes up against your life, you're never the same. The insecurities that you formerly had are chased away because you realize that regardless of the size of any obstacle that might come in your way, nothing is as big as God. No one is as big as God. And, and if any one of us are going to be usable by God, We have to continue to put ourselves in places, in situations, in circumstances where we will get a fresh realization and reawareness of the greatness and the bigness of God. We we need to be people who read the great stories of what God has done. We need to be people who read the scriptures and soak in in the greatness and the glory of God. We need to be people who immerse ourselves in listening to the great testimonies of people who say, you you need to hear of the big things of God and the greatness of God and what he did this, this week in my life. We need to be people who gather together and praise and brag on God. We need to come together and say, hey, wasn't it great what God did among us this week? Weren't there amazing things accomplished in his name? To give him glory, to remind each of us that we serve a big God. And the servant of God, the man or woman of God who's going to be usable by God. Key lesson uh, number two is that big success only comes from a big vision of God. Now, um, perception. How we perceive things is extremely powerful in our lives. In terms of motivating us to do things. I remember back in high school, you know, we used to, 
We used to gather the grade nines, the seniors, we used to gather the grade niners as they come in and we'd sort of give them a, a lowdown of the teachers that they were likely going to have that year. You know, give, give me your, your uh, timetable. Let me look at your timetable. And we'd look there and, oh my goodness, you're going to have uh, Porky Miller for math. Oh, that's going to be... You're going to have Skull for science. You're going to have Bucky Rogers for English and Boo Boo Barber for French. Man, you, you know, and we'd be setting these teachers up with the, their nicknames and all that right from the get-go. And, and of course, the perception was, you know, oh, man, these, this is going to be rough. It's the same thing with God. You have to have a perception of who he is. God is a big God, a powerful God, rather than a small God. Don't hang around with people who make God small. King Saul was a very tall man, but he made God seem small because he didn't have a big vision of God. To see God as bigger than anything will make all the difference in your life. Experience number three found in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33 is the experience in the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. What Joshua witnessed is found in verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua was um, hanging out with a man who was uh, his mentor, Moses, who, who learned what it was to spend time in the presence of God, who knew God, who knew God as a friend, had a, had a tremendous relationship with God. Moses was demonstrating to this young man, Joshua, that That life lesson number three is this, that knowing God, not just knowing about God, is the key to success in life. Knowing God, not just knowing about God, is the key to to success in life. This is about presence. This is about communing with God. This is about welcoming the the decision-making presence of God in our lives. At key moments in our life, which frankly is every day of your life and every morning of your life, to realize that I need the presence of God. I need a communion with God because I need to make decisions today. I can't be making them on my own. Why we are are so passionate, particularly these days, and and committing so much energy and resources and time and people to the ministry to the college-age kids has to do with uh, the simple fact that so many of them were raised in Bible-believing churches, in Christian homes, Christian families, go through good youth groups, and then get away to college. And, and, and just er- their faith erodes away from them. I was checking out on uh, George Barna, some of George Barna's newest stuff on um, the realities of the Christian community. And he's talking, he, has, he, he, wrote, he wrote an article on um, most 20-somethings entitled, Most 20-somethings put Christianity on the shelf following spiritually active teen years. And, and I think this is something we already knew. 20-somethings continue to be the most spiritually independent and resistant age group in America. You're wondering why we are so, we're asking you to pray, pray, pray about tonight at the college campus? This is not only about reaching kids who've never heard of Christ. That college campus is filled with kids like the kids that came out of your home. Who have gone away from home. 
and are just making life decisions. And one of the biggest life decisions they're ever making is whether I'm going to continue on this spiritual journey or not. Most of them pull away from participation and engagement in Christian churches, particularly during college years. 61% of today's young adults, listen to this, had been churched at one point during their teen years, but they are now spiritually disengaged. 61% of the kids who are graduating from our youth group ministries are disengaging from Christianity when they get to college. What are we going to do about it? And by the way, for most adults, this pattern of disengagement is not merely a temporary phase in which they test the boundaries of independence, but is one that continues deeper into adulthood. Even the traditional impulses of parenthood, where parents start to think, I ought to take my kids back to church, is weakening. These individuals are making significant life choices and determining the patterns and preferences of their spiritual reality. During these years. Do you realize that? It's at, that, at this point in their lives where they are making the most major of all life decisions they will ever make. What career, how they're going to spend the rest of their lives. Who they're going to spend the rest of their lives with. And what they're going to spend the rest of their lives believing in. And part of the problem is, and what God was developing in Joshua's life is far too many people have a professional relationship with Jesus, but not a personal relationship with him. They know about Jesus, but they don't know him intimately, in communion, in relationship, by experience. They don't spend time with him. Moses spent time with God face to face and passed that on to Joshua. Joshua just stayed in his tent. He had experienced the, Moses coming back with the presence of God he learned what it was to, to spend time in God's presence. We, we need to understand the, the urgency of this. The, the, the people who amounted to nothing in the scriptures, and we have examples of them, like King Saul. He had a professional relationship with God. Like the Pharisees, they had a professional, religious relationship with God, but they didn't have a personal relationship with him. Uh, scriptures are, uh, demonstrate uh, through the landscape of time those who, who actually wandered away in the wilderness. But the wilderness can be a place where God is, is, is uh, poking you and prodding you to, to come to terms with reconciling. Is it, is, do I just have a professional relationship with you, Lord, or do I have a personal one? Do I really know you or I just know about you? That's why weekly worship is so vital. I mean, worship is vital every day of our lives, but, but weekly worship is so vital when we gather together and, and, and remind each other of the greatness of God and, and how knowing God by experience is so crucial. Ray Ortland wrote a book called Lord, Make My Life a Miracle. And uh, he quotes his wife. He talks about um, worship services, she says, are a ritual God ordained to bind us experientially to him. To keep our sizzle in our relationship with God. And he goes on to write himself that God is a rational God. He calls on us to come to him with minds as well as hearts. Romans 12.1, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies, your faculties as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. 
And he writes, heaven's population knows all about Christ, and their view of God is true. Their real view of God is full-orbed. And so their enthusiasm is also intelligent and full-orbed. Heaven worships him best. Revelation 19 tells of that wonderful scene around the throne of God in heaven. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who is seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. Oh, the great fervor, the heartiness. We need this too, don't we? Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our God, our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory. He writes, this is why we gather together. Friends, you have an appointment with God Almighty, the King of Kings, and no cup of coffee. No conversation with any friend should make you late to that appointment. You have an audience with him. If he sovereignly allows you to have a flat tire on the way, then praise him as you change it. But pray for yourself as you come in and pray for others and pray for those who participate from up front. And at the very first happening of the service, engage your mind. Get with God. Get with the people of God. Sing. Think when you sing and sing to God. When when the choir of special music sings, my, don't read the bulletin. Put that aside. Read it when you get home. Let the worship team speak to you for God and speak to God for you. I beg you in Jesus' name, learn how to worship as others lift you up. The music is merely the vehicle to make the words really come home strongly. And on he goes, urging us, don't live with a professional relationship with Christ. Live only with a personal one, because that's life success. In Numbers chapter 11, we come to number 4. Life life lesson number four. Numbers chapter 11. Starting at verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke with him. And he took the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldab and Medab, had remained in the camp. They hadn't even gone to this great worship experience. They had remained in the camp. And they were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldab and Medab are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them! Now, um, I'm going to pause there for a moment because Joshua just puts forth a normal human response. Moses, we're the ones who've been called to leadership. We're the ones who've been called to this gifted place of, uh, of, of giving leadership and, and, and bringing the Spirit of God into the presence of the people. Moses, don't you realize that if these guys uh, uh, start prophesying that maybe you're going to lose your job? I would, um, I would suggest to you that this number four situation, the experience in the camp, is a, a typical reaction and all too familiar in the evangelical church, unfortunately. 
I remember back when I was um, a real estate agent and we were jockeying jealously for tidbits of business. Whenever somebody would get business, you know, we'd be sitting in, our, in the bullpen, the office bullpen saying, oh yeah, well, they, you know what? They get business because they're dishonest. They're, they're, you know what? They're just lucky. You know what? The manager favors them. We'd always be explaining away their success, jockeying for position. Key lesson number four is this. There is no you in Go Big. Moses says to Joshua, are you jealous for me, verse 29? Are you jealous for my sake, Joshua? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. What an important lesson Joshua was learning that day from God's leader, God's servant Moses, who said, Joshua, what's wrong with you? We are committing our lives as leaders. We are giving our lives for this very cause that God's people would experience all they can in God. We want that everyone, that everyone would have what we have, would experience all that we have. And and Joshua, if so be it, that they would go beyond us in the Lord. Joshua, don't be jealous for my sake. It's really sad when, when around the, the church we, um, we get protective about our, our positions and our ministries. We get, we get miffed if we're somehow left out of the, out, out of the or overlooked. We, we start protecting our position or our, our, our glory. And, and let's be honest. Is it God's work for God's glory or is it our work for our glory? You can do your own ultrasound. If you need glory, if you get miffed and, and put off, if you get protective of your position, well, you, you have to consider the fact that maybe you're not really working for God. You're really working for yourself. See, um, if you're going to get past the obstacles and out of the wilderness of your life, you can't afford to expend any energy on self-promotion or ego or competition with God's people. In the Go Big adventure, there's only one really big person, and he's not you. I think part of this is that that, um, we grow up, of course, with secular management principles and secular business realities around us. And we see that, that for the most part, although a lot of this is changing in terms of strategy, but, but around us we notice that, that in order for me to be successful, somebody else has to fail. You know, you know whether it be in... in if, I'm, if I'm to get the sale, then somebody else didn't get it. If, I, if I'm to get the, the sports position, then someone else had to get cut. If I'm going to get the top position in the play, then guess what? The, the 8, 9, 10, 15 others who auditioned for that play, they had to get cut. If I'm to get a promotion at work, then, then I guess someone else had to get a demotion so I could get that promotion. But Moses is saying to young Joshua, and by the way, I love they call him young Joshua. The guy was probably about 50, but I like that. His young, his young assistant. I guess that's why I'm just a young preacher. We're going to get um, 
success in life. And in the Christian context, Moses is saying, look, you can't be protecting your position. This is, we're a community, Joshua. We're, we're a community that, 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 that rises and falls together. We're, we're a community whereby we want God to get glory. That, that was a critical watershed moment in Joshua's life because if Moses hadn't checked that, Joshua would become petty and small, competitive. Competitive people can't lead God's people. They're always competing with them. See, we're a body. It's illogical for a body to compete against itself. In fact, that's what's called cancer. When your body wars against you, competes with you, so in Joshua's orientation, Moses taught him to glorify God, not man. There's no place for petty, or you'll become an obstacle yourself. God appoints and removes. It's of his bidding. You're where he wants you to be. And if he wants you to be somewhere different, he'll he'll get you there in due course. Joshua was an apprentice. It wasn't time. Over in chapter 13 and 14, the fifth experience was the experience of spying out the land. You know this story. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 30, God declares that not one of the spies who went to spy out the land will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make their home, except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. We don't have time to go over the whole story, but you know the story. There were 12 spies. They, they were sent by God, Numbers chapter 13, right at the very front end. They were sent by God to go and look at the land that God was going to give them. He just wanted them to go and oogle at it. Just go and check it out. I want you to see how great it is. Because the revelation of God, he had revealed that he was going to give them the land. And so the 12 spies go into the land. Ten of them come back with a bad report. Why did they come back with a bad report? For some reason they went into the land and instead of seeing the revelation of God, whereby he said, this is a great land that I'm giving to you, they spent all of their time looking at the people in the land And they noticed that the people of the land were big, gigantic. The obstacles of the land were massive. And so they were looking at the obstacles saying, they they make us look like grasshoppers. The difference between Caleb and Joshua and the other ten who who came back and gave a a bad report is on the vantage point of where they were looking. Joshua and Caleb were gazing at the revelation of God. The ten who said they would not go into the land or gave a bad report were gazing at the resources. Of course the resources look daunting. They always do. God had given a revelation. Revelation is always supposed to eclipse resources. Make no mistake about it. Resources belong to people who, by faith, are already committed to the revelation of God. Not the other way around. And and so the the lesson that he was learning in this particular situation was that the majority is not the compass for your life. Don't don't pay attention to the majority. You see, Caleb and Joshua, in Numbers 14, verse 6 and 9, I'll just cut it down a little bit, said the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. 
If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. They're just a a piece of cake. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. See, most people reject God's will for their lives. Many people who are well aware of the scriptures, they see the revelation of God. But they spend more time paying attention to the obstacles, the challenges, the struggles, the resource problem. And then they follow the majority. Joshua learned that day, and by some really hard lessons from then on, for a number of years, that just because everybody else is doing it is not a compass for your life. When I was growing up, I used to try and pull that on my dad regularly. And you probably tried this too. Because majority is what we usually gauge our life by. Well, everybody else seems to be doing this. Maybe it's the right thing. I used to tell my dad, you know what? Um, I want to do this. And, and you know, the, all the guys in the youth group are doing it. My dad would like, what? That, that means nothing to me. We're, we're not doing it because this is why I don't, I don't think this is right. We're not doing it. And I would try again, Dad, you know what? Like all the deacons' kids are doing it. He'd be like, what does, what's that to me? I don't care if all, all the pastor's kids are doing it. You're not, you're not doing it. So finally, I would, I would got it in my head. There's no, no point in telling my dad that like, everybody else is doing it because that meant nothing to him. Now, by the way, I want to hasten to say that the majority is not always right, but the majority is not always wrong either. There are times when God moves a a majority in the right direction. Experience number six is found in Numbers chapter 27. The experience of his commissioning. Numbers chapter 27. I want to zero in on verses 18 to 20 in particular. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, key, And lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. The experience of his commissioning, all his training, all his years in the wilderness, all of his experience, his great resume. Joshua, that's not what I want to hear. I, I don't need that. Joshua's next step in his apprenticeship and preparing him for his assignment for God was the touch of God in his life, a commissioning, an anointing, filled with the Spirit. And a particular commission from Moses to Joshua to give him some of your authority. This is the role I'm giving Joshua right now, this moment. Joshua was learning that it's not about resume, it's not about training, it's not about schooling, it's not about experience. He didn't come forward to, Mo- to Moses and say, hey, I think, I think it's about time for me to get a bit of a promotion. Because you remember that thing in Raphadim where I, where I wiped out all the Amalekites? Like, maybe, you know, I, I've been showing some real promise here. No, no, that wasn't it. It was the fact that he was filled with the Spirit, a man in whom the Spirit is, it says. And, and, and that he had his hands laid on him. He was appointed by God for a special purpose. There are no self 
self-made, spirit-filled people. There are no self-made, spirit-filled people. The successful story of a man or a woman of God is not about self-made, but rather about spirit-filled. This is a crucial lesson for him to continue to learn. Since 1979, which was when I finally, it was just around the time I was getting married, and, and I realized that there was a challenge that went out, not dissimilar to, to here at Calvary, where what are, you doing, what are you doing with what God has given you? How are you blessing another person's life? So at 19, by 1979, that was a, the, sort of a, a marker in my life where um, I stepped up and said, yeah, you know what, I'm doing nothing. And so from then on, there were a, a series of things that God has touched my life. And, but I want, I want you to know, I, I've never applied for anything. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying here that applications are bad or anything like that. I just, I just I've, never, I've never personally applied for anything. I was a Sunday school teacher, Sunday school superintendent, deacon. I've been an associate pastor a few times. I've been a senior pastor a couple of places and spoken at different places. I've never applied. Because it, it's so crucial, I think, to all of us to know that it's God's hand on our lives. That, that it's God who's moving us forward. Because we can't really, we can't really trust our own ambitions or, 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 or the own things that, our own things that we might want to do. And so it was really, it's always been crucial in my life. And I just, how I've, how I've functioned, I, I'm not saying that this is how you have to. I'm not giving you scripture for this. I'm just simply saying I've never applied. It's not because it's not about resume. It's not about experience. It's not about skill. It's not about your track record. Although all those things matter. It's, is this God's commission in your life? And is this the time for that commission in your life? Joshua was 40 years. 40 years in captivity, 40 years. Honestly, do you not think he was like, come on, I'm 78 years old. When am I going to be, when is it going to be I'm not going to be Moses' aid? When will I not be his assistant? When will I stop playing second fiddle? You don't get any of that. But we feel it in our own lives sometimes. And God hadn't forgotten about Joshua. He's not unaware. He's moving him along exactly the way he wanted. There are no self-made, spirit-filled people. And success in life is about being spirit-filled. Knowing you're right where God wants you to be, doing exactly what God wants you to do. The last and final encounter with Joshua before he had this mantle of leadership is Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 and 9. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. All right, that's it. Close down the operation. Moses has just died. The greatest prophet. He's now dead. Might as well shut it down. No, keep reading. Verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded Moses. Moses is gone. But by the way... For Moses and all of his greatness, he never was able to lead the people into the land of promise. That was going to be reserved for Joshua, the next person in line. And so you have this imperative life lesson for all of us. The seventh, 
It's a tough one. No one is indispensable. Do you know that? Do you realize that? That's a really tough one to say. No one is indispensable. It's a, a little bit sobering for me to go away and, and come back and find out the church was doing better than when I left. It was a blessing, but I realized, wait a second. Do you realize that this is, this is a great thing? This is God's work. None of us are indispensable. But by God's grace, although he doesn't need us, by God's grace, he chooses to share with us in this great cause of making Christ known in the world. It's a great thing to share that with us for a little while, to do what you need to do before God in your life, and then hand over the assignments, the torch, to another generation that's been apprenticed well, that you've committed your hearts to, that you believe in, because God has been working on them. So let's be people of encouragement as we look around at our our young people and all of that. Let's not be impatient. You know, we want to give up on people so quickly. Joshua is in like an 80-year apprenticeship. God is patient. Let's just look at them and say, wow, God is doing a great thing in your life. He's building things into your life. He's preparing you for the the next generation, the next work that he has for you. Because none of us are indispensable. We will leave our contribution, build a foundation, so the next generation can build walls on that foundation in Christ's name. Our Father and our God, I thank you for these crucial lessons. I pray, Father, that you would build something powerful into our lives. I pray that we will be patient. If we find ourselves um, perplexed right now, that's not surprising. We're at various stages of what you're doing in our life. But, Father, I pray that we might have a heart that would, that would cooperate with what you're doing. So I pray, Lord, that even now in this time of musical meditation, that you will build something into our lives and reflect on all we've learned today. For Jesus' sake, amen. In the quietness of these few moments, as uh, slide is, last slide is put up. There they are, the seven key lessons of life for preparing you for the assignment that God has for you. Now, as the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart and your life this morning, maybe one or two of those areas are really big obstacles for you, and you seem to keep circling around them. God keeps orchestrating circumstances and bringing you back to that one. I would suspect that the Spirit has most of us in a half Nelson at least and maybe a full Nelson for some of us and said that's that's the thing, that's your thing would you um, be willing to cooperate with God in your life and say look Lord I know that's a thing for me that's really an obstacle really holding me back from completing my apprenticeship of moving on to the spiritual rewards you really have for me in fullness so Lord I always wanted today to make a commitment to you that, that I want to cooperate in that area see you do some really major work in my life and move forward I'm going to close in prayer and leave it at that and just between you and God we're going to several of the pastors will be here at the front if you want us to pray for you or with you about something 
uh, with respect to this or, or anything else, we're, we're here for that. And you come and, and meet us after the service. We'd love to pray with you and, and help you on that journey of moving forward spiritually with God. Uh, Father, you, um, you are the master mentor. You, um, you take us through the journey of life, bringing circumstances and situations our way just the right time just the right encounter so that you shape us into the kind of people you want us to be that we are ready for the assignments that you have planned already in advance for us it's so fascinating Lord to see how you you told Moses to write this down and make sure Joshua sees it because you were already preparing Joshua for the future he didn't know he didn't know exactly what you had for him but you certainly Same with us. So Lord, for the people who find themselves in sort of the middle of a muddle right now, I ask that today might be filled with hope. So they understand, ah, that's what's happening. That's what God's doing. He's working on me. I'm going to cooperate because I love the Lord. I want to go big in Jesus' name. Amen.